Greg, do you hear that? I hear something. I hear it too. It's the soothing melodies. It's the official intro song of Movies for Win. We have an intro song. We've gone legit. Movies. Movies for Win. I've listened to that like 30 second clip probably 50 times in the past five days. Yeah, I was going to um, say, they've, they've probably already rewound and listened to it a couple extra times. Because <laughs> it's so cool. It's so good. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to the man behind the magic and permanently grant the title friend of the show to John Wasson, who reached out to me last week. We actually haven't talked in a couple years, and I just thought this was super cool um, that he was like, hey, man, I'm uh, I'm an aspiring uh, or I'm just I'm making some music and I would love to do this free of charge for you and Greg. And I was like what um and then he showed me like a sample of what he does and he was like super legit um and i like i sent greg the screenshot and greg thought it was like some troll trying to like scam us and there, i was like no no i know this guy <laughs> he's good that's uh, true really cool um and then uh yeah he made this it blew our minds this is like the first thing he sent us and we were both like no notes i can't believe it's so good um and uh I asked him, like, can we plug something on the show? Are you promoting anything? And he was like, no, just just wanted to do this for fun. Uh, uh, and I was like, well, we're going to plug you anyways, because this is really, really cool. And uh, I am going to buy John Wasson a beer on Monday uh, to, to thank him for that. Um, and yeah, we just uh, I'm honestly emotionally moved by that gesture. I am blown away by the song. And I've been emotionally moved by uh, just some people reaching out and saying that they actually listen to our show and like it. Greg, what about you? Yeah, it's been it's been pretty awesome for me, man. Uh, people just like I posted something on Instagram. I had a few people text and reach out. Like my buddy Drew reached out. Um, like it's just been really cool seeing people like actually listening to it. Because when we started, or when I was like initially texting you about even starting the show, I was like, man, let's it's. Even if like two or three people listen to it and it's your it's your wife and my girlfriend, then whatever. Like we're doing this for us, and if someone listens to it, great. But I I underestimated the uh, the amount of good friends I have that were are willing to listen to any whatever lame project I put out. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, it honestly it's surprised me just because I don't know. We started doing this because we wanted to, and I was like, man, I could not imagine anyone giving a crap about this um other than me and greg and our partners um and i've just been very pleasantly surprised by just the positive feedback and people actually like any feedback if anyone was like i actually listened to your show and it sucked i'd be like hey you listened what are your notes i want feedback <laughs> i don't know what we're doing we just showed up with cocktails and started talking about movies um so I don't know. I just wanted to acknowledge it that that has put a little extra pep in my step this week, um, and I'm really grateful that uh, that any anyone would care enough to listen to this and then to I don't know just send some send some encouragement. It has meant a whole lot to me. A whole, a whole lot. lot. Yeah. And it was not expected. Um, we're really. on our we're on our way, man. It's only a matter of time before one of us has to uh, box a professional athlete or a TikTok star. <laughs> We're blowing up, buddy. That's right. Actually, <laughs> at our first live show, 
I am going to arm wrestle Kanye West. That's right. Denny Taylor versus Kanye West arm wrestling at our first live show at um, the Bearded Lady Barbershop in Denton. <laughs> That's right. Or at least someone that looks like Kanye West. Um, He's a pretty distinct looking dude. Nah. Uh, there will be no photos and close-ups allowed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll only be allowing Polaroid pictures from a distance of uh, some dude we found who wore a pink polo. That's right. It's 2005 Kanye West. He's coming back. Hell yeah. Wait, if you spray paint a bald dude silver, he looks like Kanye West. <laughs> Greg, edit this out. Find a bald dude. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what uh, Nate Wallace is up to. All right, our first movie. <laughs> our first movie. Uh, what, what are our three movies we're doing today, Greg? Well, let's intro the episode itself, actually. This is the episode, the third episode, Movies for When You Want to Get All Meta. Yeah. yeah, this is one of our earlier ideas. Uh, we like movies that are a little more self-aware. Little nods to the audience are always fun. We enjoy them a lot. Honestly, it was hard to limit this to three movies. I had picked um, two movies that I decided were better suited for Halloween. You know, October's going to be... What was the other one? Uh, Cabin in the Woods. Oh, yeah, yeah. I knew that one, too. Yeah, I had Cabin, Cabin in the Woods funny games which i was excited about because i've literally never heard of it and you were like just going cold and i was gonna do it advice still stands uh yeah so we're gonna do funny games and perhaps cabin in the woods i was gonna suggest but those are better suited for our october episodes which is gonna be a big month yeah cabin in the woods is such a layup for october like there's just so much to say about that movie exactly that's a, that's a slam dunk layup do people do slam dunks and layups no no they well, don't I quit sports to do theater. <laughs> so that's that the best thing layup. I can give you. <sighs> Man, so yeah, our three movies that we picked. And if you follow our Twitter account at Movies for Win, then you would have seen these already. Please follow the Twitter account. Oh, that's, Let it that's Patreon exclusive. <laughs> we don't have a Patreon. Shut up. All no, right. it's not exclusive. <laughs> it's, it's very public. It's um, so exclusive. Our three. Uh, movies we selected for today for when you want to get all meta are Adaptation, The Lego Movie, and Last Action Hero. And uh, uh, we have a special guest on the show. It's uh, uh, Nicolas Cage, who you and I both know is a sexy cat. And we like to see his movies. We like to watch them. We like to consume them. And then we like to talk about them on podcast. Okay? Oh, oh. Nicholas Cage, ladies and gentlemen, friend of the show. <laughs> friend of the show, Nicholas Cage. All right. We're real excited about Ghost Rider 3, buddy. Everyone's <laughs> everyone's rooting for you. Um, Greg and I are Nick Cage fanatics. Uh, I actually prefer to refer to him as the corporeal deity that currently embodies the vessel of the actor known as Nicholas Cage, um, because I think that's a little more true. Um, but we have watched a lot of weird Nick Cage movies together. Um, and surprisingly enough, our first Nick Cage movie that we're doing on this podcast is one of his least weird films, despite being one of the most weird films ever made. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the least weird. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's one of the less weird Cage performances, but is definitely one of the weirdest movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are we going to just jump right into it? Or are we yeah. ready? So movie <laughs> one is adaptation, folks. Yeah. 
movie one is adaptation on on the note of what you just said um you know i really was surprised that a movie where nick cage constantly masturbates wasn't a little more grabby (laughs) (laughs) i would have expected a little more oomph in those scenes and uh they're very, uh, 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 to quote Forgetting Sarah Marshall, they're very uh, uh, sad tissues, not happy tissues. And <laughs> I just, I, I couldn't believe that I was watching it, that I was like, this is a movie where Nick Cage is just constantly pleasuring himself. And it's like super understated. <laughs> I just can't believe that. <laughs> I want like... They must have had to have like a 10 minute chat about like, no, no, we're going to play it this way, Nick. Nick, not how you actually masturbate. This is acting. This is acting. You're Charlie now. <laughs> oh, man. Um, obligatory quote from Shirley Bennett. Damn, Charlie Kaufman, some of us have work in the morning. For mm-hmm. all you community fans out there. Uh, Charlie Kaufman is one of my favorite filmmakers, and he always makes stuff like this. Uh, really, there's only been one miss for me, and I'm partially willing to reevaluate it, which was Synecdoche, New York. Um, uh, uh, it made me feel something. I don't know. I, I, I've opened myself up to more surrealism since then. Um, and so I'm like, ah, I used to think surrealism was pretentious and dumb, but I uh, watched a bunch of David Lynch movies while I was adjusting to new psych meds. And, uh, you know, I, I'm willing to revisit it. But, man, uh, I love adaptation. I love Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I love being John Malkovich, and I love his most recent I'm Thinking of Ending Things. I, I'm a Charlie Kaufman fan, but we do have to acknowledge that the man lives up his own ass in terms of making movies. Yeah, I'm, his movies are like objectively very well made, very good. There's there's only a few that I'm like a fan of, and this is like the best one of the bunch, I think. For me, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the best. I think I'd I think Eternal Sunshine is my best, but uh, adaptation... Perfectly fine, yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think I might like being John Malkovich a little more, even. Actually, and I'm thinking... Okay, of that's enough. <laughs> I'm going to say this is number four of my top four favorite Charlie Kaufman movies, but all of those are movies that I uh, I adore. I love them. You know, it's uh, fourth in a race where there is no fifth, and the difference is small. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I had a thought that occurred to me in this movie that this is actually basically how Tina Fey wrote Mean Girls. Yeah. Uh, she was trying to adapt Queen Bees and Wannabes into a movie because it was so powerful to her. And then she basically realized this is not a narrative. <laughs> this is, uh, I have to basically just write a movie and uh, have it be inspired by my my thoughts on Queen Bees and Wannabes. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's pretty much... Uh, the the character charlie kaufman's character arc you know he's trying to adapt a piece of nonfiction into fiction um and basically has to come to terms with the fact that it does not work yeah. um and that may be the way life is but uh he's writing a movie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got for us greg what do you got for us going into the going into the weeds on adaptation going into the swamp yeah a few <laughs> times yeah this is a this is another it's you know not at all subtle but like it's one of the another good use of the title of the film we were praising silence of the lambs week one this is another great one where you're just like the entire theme of the movie is adapting a book 
into a movie, so adaptation. But as you know, sometimes words have two meanings. <laughs> and it's, the, it's also about the adaptation of uh, what's coming for you in life. And I thought it was really well presented. I think, you know, that's not a difficult point to get across or make or even discover but it's it's presented really well and it's i think it's really well thought out mm. oh absolutely um i'm i'm honestly man like you can do something like that that's kind of on the nose if you earn it yeah um, and that title is definitely part of what helped them earn it that like it's you know it's it's called adaptation they're adapting a book into a movie and that's the focus of it. And then they kind of hit you with that. And I want to say the third act. Um, and, you know, like they don't like, I don't know. At that point, we'd been through so much with this movie that that was like, oh, instead of like dumb, you know, mm -hmm. like being like two meetings. I, I thought they uh, they buried the lead enough that it really worked and that it actually hit me because I was. Uh, yeah, yeah. I actually made several notes about like how this mirrors adaptation in different forms, you know, like, and how there's lots of different stuff, but even I was still very focused on the story. Um, they're adapting a story and all my notes were like, and all stories are adaptations, you know, like, cause you adapt life into a story. And then it was like, no, this is about how life adapts. You mm -hmm. know, like this is about how these characters adapt to something new and how they're resistant to something new and how they're faced with challenges that they don't want to be faced with. You know, Meryl Streep's character is faced with the challenge of she's unfulfilled in her marriage, but she doesn't really want to disrupt her life. Um, and she finds a way to adapt to that. Nick Cage's, uh, Nick Cage's Charlie Kaufman um, is basically has some weird high-minded artsy idea about story structure that just does not serve him in his task. Um, and he has to adapt and challenge himself and, look at his own pretension um which you know is pretty cool it's pretty yeah. cool stuff because let me tell you man that first act was really grinding on my joseph campbell's heroes journey gill gills grinding my gills yeah Years. that's a, that's the phrase it was grinding my gills um <laughs> no i was just like oh my gosh it reminded me of um when i was in a screenwriting class at ut um, and my professor was teaching a story structure, which I admit my bias. Uh, I, I love a good structured story. If you're going to deviate from it, I want you to have a reason to. Um, and one kid raised his hand and was like, are you saying there's only one way to tell a story? Oh my God. Um, and my professor just like, he'd been waiting for it. It was definitely like, uh, there's one every semester. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? And he was like, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying you can sit on anything. I prefer chairs, <laughs> which I just love <laughs> all the time of like, you know, in the same way that I could go sit on an amorphous rock and that's going to hurt my butt. Or I could sit on something that was intentionally designed for me to sit on it. That's kind of how I feel about story structure, uh, especially like, you know, in a culture where, especially in a post star Wars American media world, We've been really conditioned to this hero's journey story structure. We've been conditioned, whether we realize it or not, to subliminally expect the same things. Um, and that's kind of how we, it's the mythical template that we often consult when we are confronted with challenges in our own lives. Um, and 
I don't know that life really fits a narrative. I kind of think it doesn't, but I think it helps us to narrativize it. It helps us to make meaning out of it because we're meaning makers. It's what we do. We look at clouds and we see shapes. There are not shapes, <laughs> you know, like that is about our perception of the clouds. Um, I don't know. I really went off on a tangent there. Greg, bring me back. That's perfect, man. No, bring like, yeah, this, this is more of just like kind of a weird or different chair and not a full on couch town couch. Yeah. That reference is for two people. Uh, I don't even get it. Yeah, exactly. There <laughs> I you affirmed go. it and I don't even get it. Yeah, I like, you know, it's it's pretty incredible what the script was able to do where it literally tells you everything that the movie's going to do and then does it. I feel like that's kind of like a staple of a lot of meta films is telling you what's going to happen, like, pretty plainly. But I feel like this one was a a little bit more on the nose but like oh, yeah. it feels like ah, it's hard to explain like they definitely stated it more plainly but it still surprised you a little bit because it takes like a huge turn in the way they're telling the story in the third act yeah oh yeah well i think that's the thing is it's like in the first act they're so steadfast that like charlie kaufman is gonna be a miserable bastard and he's mm -hmm. just gonna look down on he's a miserable intellectual judging a happy simpleton as far as he looks at like donald kaufman and people like him yeah their um, relationship is very interesting to me go ahead I, I love it um and so they they really convince you that he's gonna kind of double down on this um and then uh, they just did such a good job of convincing me that this was such a high-minded art film that there's no way they would end it with like action scenes and airtight conclusions and everything is resolved, you know? And so when that happens, it's just mind blowing. Um, and I don't know about you, but for me, like as I'm watching the movie, I slowly realized I'm watching the movie that he's writing. Um, mm -hmm. I'm watching what he wrote and this movie is about him writing the movie. And this is the part where Donald started helping him write. This is the part where he started accepting help and the narrative drastically changed. And like, I just think like up until that point, it was like meta, but uh, very grounded in reality, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. And, but then like, we get to that point and it's like, oh, we're watching his finished product and he's mm -hmm. telling us about his process. Um, and his finished product drastically changed when he started listening to Donald, when he started, you can see Donald's influence come in of all of a sudden it's like a, a fucking spy thriller, uh, you know, yeah. it's like movie about a sad guy having writer's block and masturbating. <laughs> like that's what Kick it ass. was the whole time. And then all of a sudden we've got like, did you know there's a secret powder in the orchids? It's yeah. only native Americans can extract <laughs> it through a sacred rich. It's all this like Hollywood bullshit. And to me, it was almost like Charlie Kaufman saying, I'm sorry. It was him like kind of reaching out to the part of me that's like, you know what? It's okay to relax and have fun. You don't need to feel bad about that. If that's what you want to like a movie for, because it helped you relax and have fun and just be engaged with something that was interesting and entertaining, that's okay. I'm just going to make you earn it on the front end. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah i think i think donald did influence a lot of that um but i feel like a lot of it was validated with the uh with mckee the guy that gives mm. the uh the guy that gives the screenwriting seminars my spirit animal that guy my rules spirit animal oh my god or ev the guy the actor i can't remember his name but the the guy that every time he shows up i'm just like 
that's the guy from the born identity and that's all i see him as that's never going to change <laughs> even though he's been in so many things and done so much cooler more interesting roles i'm like born identity guy good to see him again I've never, uh, I've never seen the Born Identity, so I was just like, "Is that really some guy named Robert McKee that does acting workshops?" Hey, he's he's done some other stuff too. He's a he's a great actor. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll shoehorn that movie into an episode somewhere. But yeah, like we'll literally the second that McKee says not to use voiceover, <laughs> the voiceover just stops until the very end of the movie. I'm just like, oh, okay. And yeah. that's, that's I think, like, the real turn for, yeah, we're going to make a Hollywood movie now. Yeah. And God help you if you use a deus ex machina. <laughs> yeah, um, that's really when, in counseling, we call this terminal uniqueness. Um, it's this idea that someone could be so preoccupied with their uniqueness that they completely close themselves off from the ability to relate to someone else because they just, like, have to have this idea in their head that every experience they have is unique and something special to them and no one could understand them and that's really when you see uh the character charlie kaufman's terminal uniqueness get interrupted like he's yes. completely closed off from other people and just so preoccupied with like what a smart artsy screenwriter he is and he basically gets told shut up um and he had and it's like a, and he's there because he's essentially coming to terms with the fact that this thing that he's saying is easy. Write a write a Hollywood spy, spy blockbuster murder mystery. He's saying it's easy, and he's saying it's stupid, and it's lowbrow. And you know what? He can't do it. And his brother Donald is, like, over there crushing it on the first try, you know? And so he, <laughs> like, kind of has to admit that uh, maybe it's not so easy. Maybe, uh, maybe you have some things to learn. Charlie Kaufman is Nicolas Cage. And that's a moment where it really is, like, okay, I'm going to let other people into my world, even on the deep level of the voiceover is his thoughts and he's letting someone else interrupt his thoughts and he's yeah. paying attention to what they're saying. I think what you're saying right now is really backed up. Um, during that whole scene where he's like, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe you're here. It's such a sellout. I can't believe I'm actually attending one of these seminars. And like the way he, uh, Nicholas Cage is filmed is just like, it seems like a spotlight's on him. He's really like standing out. He's looking around like I'm not part of this crowd. Yeah. I'm not I'm not one of these people. I'm accomplished. <laughs> and once he gets kind of, you know, more or less put in his place, he's kind of blended into the crowd and then he's like meagerly trying to um meet up with McKee after the seminar and he seems more like just just a guy trying to, you know, approach somebody. He's not like yeah, there's no essence of like self-importance in that yeah it's it's humbling he has to practice humility um and uh i think it's really one of my favorite moments in the whole movie is when his brother uh is talking about oh what where did he use um we're going back for some push push in the bush you know and he's just like <laughs> acting like a jackass at the party and then they just hard cut to him sitting at a desk trying to write and it's like you know, they kind of conditioned us to look at him as like, to look at Donald as an obnoxious idiot. But then they make us watch Charlie sit there and try to write. And I had this moment where I was like, your brother's off getting laid and you're trying to dramatize orchids. Yeah. Who's living a better life? <laughs> <laughs> Are you really going to say that like 
you're on the high road and you're doing things right and he's an idiot and i felt like that was intentional that they like just cut this this fun moment immediately and we're back to the typewriter um yeah that's something i was going to mention too is like charlie's desk is just like this dark side next to his bed that's got the typewriter it's got like one sheet of paper over there and it's just very plain and very focused and then donald's writing station is like in the living room it's on a computer it's got all the stuff posted on the walls it's got stuff on the desk and yeah i think that's great i think that really backs up exactly what you said it's pretty fantastic uh it reminds me of uh, uh, something I read in a book years ago about someone who was, it was a writer meeting up with a friend who, um, it was a memoir I was reading, and he talked about how he met up with a friend who he hadn't talked to in like five years. Um, and in five years, the dude had lived a pretty ordinary life. Like he got married, uh, he had a kid, nothing like really headline, you know, like nothing really like out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. And the writer himself was like, you know, I used to think I lived like a really interesting life because of all these stories I was making, but uh, his life is more interesting than mine because it actually happened. Um, and my life happened in my head. And we could call his path like basic or disinteresting and maybe I'm living like some cool rogue life as a miserable self-loathing writer, but uh, his life actually happened and is therefore more interesting than mine. Yeah. And that really stuck with me, and I really feel like we we kind of see the contrast uh, in Charlie and Donald in that. That's like, Donald's out there living, man. <laughs> He's out there living. You're alone by yourself trying to prove a point to no one about how story can be different. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, no one cares. Yeah. Dude, that story really ties back into what you were saying about, like, individuality. Or, I, I can't remember what you called it. What was it? individuality terminal uniqueness terminal uniqueness sorry yeah terminal uniqueness that really ties back into that that's that's really like a moment of like snapping out of terminal uniqueness that i feel like happens to the character in the film and i think that's yeah that's great that that ties in perfectly yeah um i thought that there were just a few stray things there's two really really endearing things about this movie one is just how much donald loves charlie it's yeah adorable. it's precious um just his like steadfast genuine enthusiasm for his miserable bastard twin brother um i absolutely loved um another is actually my favorite meryl streep scene i've ever seen which don't get me wrong i haven't watched a ton of meryl streep movies mm -hmm. um i've always thought she's a good actor i've never understood why people think she's one of the best ever um but i've always thought she was good like i didn't have a problem with her but when people are like She's like oh, the Michael Scott thing <laughs> when Meryl is like Meryl Streep is the best actor. Um, <laughs> but uh, man, I thought her high scene in this was so charming. Mm -hmm. It's just like so uh, that was a scene where I was like, I feel like she brought something to that that no one else could. Yeah. Um, and it's partially just because she's Meryl Streep and you don't usually see her getting stoned you know like that that was just such a unique way to use a very famous actor you know like to have him do something a little more out of their ordinary and i really loved her just like laying in her bed and looking at her toes i just thought it was so endearing and charming and uh i was, I was a huge fan of that scene 
Yeah, I, man, I was going to say, like, it took us this long into the review. We haven't even talked about, like, Meryl Streep, who is arguably the biggest actor in this movie. Definitely. Like, we just now got to her. Arguably, definitely, yeah. definitely. Well, in our I, worlds, Nick Cage is the biggest actor alive, so. Well, no, I mean, but this is a this is a big cast. It's got it's got names. It's got Nick Cage. It's got Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper ruled in this, by the oh. way. Talk about transforming, man. He was lost in John LaRoche. Like, he was lost in that role. Um, I was going to say, like, real quick about Meryl Streep. I think, I don't know. I have no problem with calling her the best ever. Like, and it shows, like, in the first couple acts of the movie is just, like, she's so incredibly natural at whatever she's doing. But, like, she's just, like, a journalist that's kind of struggling with this new perspective of her own home life mm -hmm. and then the last third she's she's getting high on some <laughs> some orchid some sweet orchid bud and yeah that it feels like i don't know I, this is probably not true at all but it feels like in in this world meryl streep was cast for charlie kaufman's movie that he's writing and then all of a sudden she's having to do this new type of character where she's on drugs yeah. Oh, yeah. and I she she kills it there so yeah i didn't yeah. even think about that in the first half of the movie she's definitely like cast to type you know like that's very much she's doing meryl streep thing she's an accomplished journalist in the big city um pretty pretty understated um wears glasses that my mom wore in the 2000s and maybe the same pair uh that brought back like a weird memory i didn't know i had i was like my mom did have oval shaped lenses <laughs> <laughs> um but um yeah and then there's this cool switch when she's basically been presented this whole time as just a just a kind of you know not too substantial character and then when Donald interviews her and goes, she's lying. <laughs> that was oh, great. It's so good. It's so good. It's well, amazing. she's lying. So good. What are you talking about? <laughs> Just, yeah. Oh. I loved it. Um, this. I, I wanted to ask you what you thought about Judy Greer's bit part in this movie. Uh, Judy Greer was the one that was in... Um, Sorry, uh, being John Malkovich too, right? Was that her? No, that was, was Catherine Keener. Richard. Catherine Keener, my bad. I was gonna say Cameron Diaz, but uh, ooh, but not even close. <laughs> no, she's in it. She's 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 a lead. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. I was I, thought um, meant, I was talking about but, this movie. I was like, Cameron Judy, Diaz is uh, definitely not in this movie. <laughs> oh no 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 no! Judy Greer is Kitty in Arrested Development. Yes 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 yes. She's she's awesome. She's in so much stuff. She's everywhere. Um, and you don't even realize it until you're like you for me at least it was like i would be it was like every time i see her i'll be like she looks familiar and i'll be like oh judy greer like, no it's always judy like greer. it's kitty the whore that's what i always kitty. yeah um yeah no she's i just she has like two scenes and they're really good and yeah. i just i think it's a testament to judy greer that she was able to show up, you know, just for a, a, a bit part. And in this crazy movie, it was actually something that stuck with me. Yeah, she was um, great. She's the, she's the, she's the, she's the waitress for those uninitiated with uh, Say Goodbye to These in Arrested Development. Judy Greer is the waitress that uh, <laughs> Greg just flashed me. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's the last time you're going to see him. 
Spring um, break, woo! I also wanted to say that uh, this is a very special Nick Cage movie because it's one of two Nick Cage movies I have ever watched that I was not constantly distracted by the fact that he was Nick Cage. The other one was Bad Lieutenant, right? <laughs> Bad Lieutenant was a documentary. <laughs> um, no, the other one is actually Raising Arizona. Yes, that's a good one. Yeah, Great movie to, to our Arizona boy, Greg. Hey, it's me. Yeah. You have any... Uh, I, I have a closer thought. I'm pretty much through most of my notes. What about you? Do you got anything else you want to say about adaptation? I got one last thing. Um, it's uh, when Donald was coming back from one of his uh, screenwriting seminars. He's basically preaching what McKee is saying. And he's saying every screen screenwriter has a genre. And there hasn't been a new genre since uh, whoever uh, came up with like the mockumentary. Is what he says. Yeah, yeah. He's like... I decided my uh, my genre is thrillers. What's yours, Charlie? And Charlie Charlie's just like not even listening. And he's like <laughs> he says something about his own loneliness, and I'm like, is Charlie's is Charlie Kaufman's genre loneliness? Yeah. As wow. some as someone, I wanted to ask you because as someone that's a fan of a lot of his movies, is loneliness his genre? I would 100% agree with that. Just now at face value, evaluating it for the first time. Um, I might argue that I don't know that loneliness is a genre, but it's definitely yeah. Charlie Kaufman's genre. Um, you know, like if you get into like existentialism, um, it's a philosophy that would state there are four givens in life. Um, and one of those givens that you cannot avoid is the given of isolation. Um, that no matter how close you get to someone, no matter how intimate you are, no matter how much you share, you are the only person who will ever know what it's like to be you, um, to be inside your head. And there is a fundamental loneliness in that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you can look at like being John Malkovich. The I was desire, about to say. Yeah, the desire to be in someone else's head, you know, like the desire to experience life from a different perspective. Um, man, eternal sunshine, I think... <laughs> If that's not a breakup movie, I don't know what is. And breakups are pretty lonely. And uh, man, I think, you know, you speak, uh, I think I'm thinking of anything speaks for itself in terms of loneliness. Um, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, but I, yeah, that movie is about loneliness and isolation. And I would agree that adaptation, you know, is really about Charlie Kaufman, the character's journey from pretentious isolation into an embrace of community to the point that he cannot wait for his brother to get out of his house at the beginning of the movie. And he is devastated by the loss of his brother because he actually opens himself to being impacted by that relationship by the end of the movie. Um, so I'd agree. Yeah, absolutely. And he's always pining for, uh, for a date. He wants to get a date uh, and it doesn't work out for him very often. <laughs> All right, Denny, what did you, uh, you had one last thought on this, right? Yeah, I actually had two last thoughts. This is going to be my gimmick is saying one more thing and then doing several more things, I but these are my only to two. Say. Um, did, did you catch the end credits, uh, the end credits, credits Greg that fully put a bow on the meta? No, I didn't. It said, uh, written by Charlie and Donald Kaufman. Oh. And the, the final note was, uh, dedicated to the memory of Donald Kaufman. Um, and, so, and Donald Kaufman does not exist. I actually had to look that up. Like, did his brother die? Is Charlie Kaufman a twin? Uh, and uh, he does not exist, never did. But I think that really lends to the theory that you're watching their movie. And they wrote a movie about Charlie and Donald writing a movie together. 
um because they credit donald kaufman in the in the credits um no the thing i wanted to close on was uh the kaufman brothers state that they went to high school with sarah marshall technically same universe technically ooh, oh i like it yeah Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Marshall. Adaptation are in the same universe. One of, one of the show favorites. Oh, yeah. Sarah Marshall. That's one of our favorite movies. I watched it last week. I've watched it a million times, and I'll watch it a million times more. I love that movie. I haven't seen it in a while. I think it's about time. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll do movies for when you want to forget Sarah Marshall next week. <laughs> all, three, all three are forgetting Sarah Marshall. Uh, we're gonna have to watch Get Him to the Greek. That sucks. Uh, not looking okay. forward to that one. Next again. week will not be movies for when you want to forget Sarah Marshall. Definitely not. All right, what's your uh, favorite line from the movie, Denny? Oh shit! Um, wasn't prepared. I know I introduced this gimmick. I was um, about to say you're the one that started this. I forgot about it. You want me to do? You want me to do mine first? Do give yours you, first. Give you a sec. Yeah. Yeah. Do yours first. Uh, you referenced it already, actually, but it was. And don't you dare bring in a deus ex machina. That's what I was going to say. So I think we uh, we are in agreement on favorite line of the movie. Consensus. Yeah. So like, good. It's so good because it's like... you The same guy that just said, don't you, you know, like stop using voiceover. It's lazy. And they stop using voiceover. Okay. For some reason, as soon as he says, don't you dare bring in a deus ex machina, you're not... I think they're gonna do that <laughs> and they totally do and it rules it's beautiful um what's your critic rating uh my critic rating is 35 out of 40 which is an nice. eight 8.75 out of 10 very nice that is is that the highest you've rated something so far on this uh, podcast ooh. maybe i think so it's about to be usurped spoilers teasers Ooh, shit um i uh i actually moved my critiker rating down on this watch i'd seen it once before this was my second watch um i had it at a 4.6 or a 46 out of 50 and for me that's like my my kind of standard is like anything 40 to 45 transcends the genre it's just like mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you don't like this type of movie this is that that good anything 46 to 50 is just all-timer territory that's just like the best movies ever made forget the category you know like we 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 just that's all-timer mm -hmm. um i bumped it down to a 42 um which okay. is still a glowingly positive review uh and i i am a i am very guilty of recency bias um i i so like i'm thinking the first time i watched it I was just blown away by like how many moving parts that they worked with. And uh, the second time I felt like I actually had a greater appreciation for the movie, but less hype around it. Um, I also changed my critiker rankings all the time because uh, for what it's worth, I was in a really bad mood when I watched this movie. <laughs> and so maybe, uh, maybe it, uh, maybe it affected my overall rating, but uh, a 42 out of 50 ain't nothing to sneeze at either. I love this movie. I'm a fan. Exactly. I think it's something that, uh, even if you just want to watch Hollywood, big budget, simple, fast nine stuff, um, I think you should watch this, and I think it would be accessible to you. I really do. Even if, like, weird meta stuff is not your thing, I think there would be a kind of uncomfortable period at the beginning, but I think by the end of it, you could appreciate it and enjoy it. So, yeah. yeah. 
it's weird calling a movie like this accessible but that's that's totally understandable well i think that's the point of it is it's like uh it basically it basically roast art films and is just like how about y'all just settle down myself included is charlie kaufman writing it it's kind of like a maybe i should chill out on some of this stuff sometimes <laughs> and just have fun and i think i think pretty much anyone can relate to that i mean like I definitely go through phases where I get really into art movies. Um, a lot of the time, I just think they're like pretentious and annoying, and I just want to see RoboCop. And I think most people hang out in the like, why do people like this camp? You know, like most people, mm -hmm. and I don't think that's a worse camp. Like, I'm not judging it. You know, I'm just like, listen, man, if you liked a movie, then for you, it's a good movie. You don't need like some complex explanation. I like complex explanations because that's the shape of my brain. But like, you really don't need to qualify if you liked it or not. And I don't really think, you know, like you need to sit through me telling you why you should care about it. Um, so sorry about making this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, you know, I, I really do think to pe I think it's kind of kind of an olive branch to people who hate that kind of highbrow stuff. Honestly, yeah. it's like, a, hey, maybe we as like auteurs should like get our heads out of our ass a little bit seamless edit we're back <laughs> here we are denny wasn't ready for it i don't care we're I like my edits like i like my spandex seamless of... oh seamless yes of course <laughs> all right we're ready to talk about the lego movie which is our second movie in our episode for movies for when you want to get all meta uh this was my pick i'll go ahead and intro it oh we didn't even say whose picks were what yeah okay Mine was, uh, uh, oh, no. Yeah, mine was Lego Movie. Mine was Last Action Hero. And the group consensus was Adaptation. That's something we both wanted to do. Yep. So, yeah, Lego Movie was my pick. Uh, this is the one I replaced Funny Games with. Uh, great movie. We referenced it in the first episode when we were talking about the Oscars, how it did not even get nominated. Not even nominated! For Best Animated Feature. A true how crime. Who's that? I don't know. How do you excuse that? I don't know. They gave it best song, so they watched the movie. We're not rehashing this. Lego Movie Rules, everybody. I'm not over it. I'm not over it either. I think of it literally every year when the Oscars happen. I'm just like, how could they? This is one of the best ever, not just of the year it came out. It's one of the best animated movies ever. It is. We, I, we just watched it a few days ago, and it rules. Mm -hmm. I'm like... There's a reason I loved this movie. I, I watched it in I watched it in theaters. I want to say it was like Will, Ace, uh, maybe Jordan, like a few of the old roommates, and it was like a theater with us, like three uh, three or four adults, and then like some other people like us. This was in Denton, a college town, so there's like some college age students there, but there's also like young families with like seven and ten year old kids. And everybody was equally having the best time watching this movie. <laughs> Everyone yep, was mean, on the same level of elation watching this thing. I am a big believer that there are kids' movies and there are family movies. That a family movie is something that could be enjoyed by a child, a teenager, and an adult, possibly for different reasons, but everyone could have a good time. Kids' movies suck. Family movies rule. I'm a huge fan of the genre. They rule. Also, family movies only show up on ABC Family. So, getting into the Lego movie. 
my favorite channel. This is your pick. Open us up with an opening thought. I guess my opening thought was, yeah, exactly that is the perfect family movie. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of unexpected because everyone. This is the first of. There's been lots of Lego movies, Lego shows, um, to that have come out since, but it was just kind of a surprise of how much fun it was because the concept of Lego and like the people behind that company have like a certain sense of humor that mm -hmm. like not gonna lie I played one or two like Lego video games like pre-Lego Star Wars like did you ever play Lego Island no I played Lego Rock Raiders oh I played the living hell out of Lego Island on Windows 95 but I bet you oh yeah I bet it had the same exact sense of humor as yeah. <laughs> like yes, consistent. It's a, it's been a nineties exactly. It has been a consistent sense of humor since uh, whenever like Lego visual media has started coming out, and it's mm -hmm. been incredible to watch. And Chris Lord, uh, Chris Lord, and Philip Miller have been. Oh, I bet I got those names wrong. Lord and Miller, who made like Twenty One Jump Street, uh, made this movie, and they absolutely killed it. I think their senses of humor and like their um, their vision served that sense of humor very very well. Um, I think my first note, I guess I would have to say it's literally perfect animation. Uh, yeah. Ace Ace was definitely there, and at some point he said to me like, "I feel like this was actually <laughs> made like with like stop motion Lego." I think they did a hybrid, right? It was a hybrid of CGI and stop motion. Probably, I think so because there's. That's what I always understood. There's some textures that are just so unbelievable. Like mm -hmm. when you get a close up on certain pieces and like the hair piece, which mm -hmm. hilarious, it just yeah. pops it off. Is like, it just looks like the regular small tiny yep. piece of plastic. So this movie, both visually and in its comedic, to piggyback off of uh, both of your thoughts. It has what I call the Muppet effect. Please elaborate on the Muppet effect. They don't insult you. Like, to put it in the Muppet terms, they don't insult you by pretending at any point that it is anything other than a sock with a dude's hand in it. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, they never try to do anything more impressive than that. And they actively comment on how bad it is. And because of that, they let you in on the joke. You don't feel insulted. Um, so you are like, it makes your buy-in so much easier that not only are you like, oh, this isn't dumb. I can laugh with this because it's laughing at itself. But it also like sneaks up on you and makes your emotions more accessible mm -hmm. because you just invest. They like, they remove your willful suspension of disbelief you know, both in the Muppets and in the Lego movie where they're just constantly like, hey, this is a dumb little thing that doesn't even look cool. And you're like, yeah, I know. Okay, I'll buy in. You don't have any <laughs> sort of resistance, you know? Like, um, and then because of that, they're able to hit you with a pretty powerful emotional story. Um, and I am a big fan of it, both in their, like, self-deprecating comedy and in the animation style they chose that they really didn't, like... They didn't do like any CGI things where someone's like arms just grow really long. They didn't, they never tried to make it look cool. They were always just like dumb mm -hmm. little Lego people 
derpy derping around walking like South Park characters, you know, like, yeah. Um, and I think that it's, I honestly don't know that I've really seen it in anything other than the Muppets and the Lego movie. And honestly, maybe South Park. Yeah. What, yeah. What you just said feels intentional. I feel like that was one of the like first rules at like the beginning of production was like nothing absolutely ridiculous happens. Everything has to look like, or like utilize what would be a regular Lego piece. Nothing is going to be ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, like, or, you know, yeah. Nothing's going to be outside of what a Lego brick or figure can do. Well, that's the thing. They're always like, uh, and they just like literally jump cut. Like they appear out of nowhere in their hands. Like in the beginning of the movie, they're like, who wants to get dinner after this? Anybody want a turkey leg? Oh, I'm in for a turkey leg. But what about a croissant? <laughs> it's just like <laughs> no foods there are. And they're all getting excited. Or what about extra long sausages? And oh, they just, yeah, like, I want one of those. They just appear out of nowhere in their hands. And so they embrace this world where it's like, basically, if you like looked into the world building of old Legos when they were not trying to world build because world building wasn't a thing, it would be a world where there were only three types of food, turkey legs, extra long sausages, and croissants. And they exactly. Just were like, yeah, I know, right? It's funny. Like some it's of the, like, some of like it. the earlier Lego sets, I think were like medieval uh, settings. So there was only like turkey legs and the sausage and <laughs> stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. So it fits exactly with like what you would find in your giant plastic tub of Lego. It's yeah. great, yeah. Um, my dad used to tell us to glue our Legos together because they always broke. And oh, with the I'm, craggle. Yeah, I'm glad that I dodged that serial killer shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were always like, Dad, you don't get it. If you glue them together, that's just a regular toy. It's not a Lego anymore. I've got tons of toys that are glued together. Uh, so my condolences to anyone who glued their Legos and uh, you belong on a watch list somewhere because you are more likely to kill more than one person in premeditated murder that's right I've never agreed with Denny Moore <laughs> dude yeah um, I kind of want to get into why we we I and you agreed why we wanted to have this movie as part of the getting all meta episode good point um, i think that this is definitely a movie geared towards kids but like you said it's a family movie but i feel like children's media and especially animation it tends to have a lot more meta moments and like meta sense of humor and mm -hmm. i think that's to kind of ease tension for kids because if it's too stressful as a situation you can always just have the character look at the camera and say like guess we're in a jam and then the kid's just like it's not that serious and then it, things are taken more lightheartedly in that way mm -hmm. yeah and then when we do we just want to jump to the super meta ending that's where that's where i feel like this thread is taking us it's it's getting there yeah um yeah it's it's not only this movie i think it's a lot of like children's tv shows that will do that exact sort of thing and i, I think animation in general whether it's for kids or adults should do that more often because it's like you're you're watching a cartoon you're watching something that you is visibly not real yeah why not have your characters just lean into it look at the you know <laughs> the camera that's not even actually real yeah and just like wink along with you and just make a make a 
you know, a little joke out of it. But then this movie seems to take things like a couple of steps further beyond that too. Like they take that notion and then they're just like, also we're gonna go into the real world world here for a minute. Oh, what were you gonna say about that? That is just that's where it goes from like a funny kind of sarcastic movie with more smart humor than I would expect in an animated movie um, to something that I think is, first of all, just truly meta in every way and something that I think is emotionally powerful. Um, Man. Oh, it's so good. This is what play therapy is. Let me give you a little breakdown of how a child's brain looks. The first part of your brain to grow when you were in utero is your limbic system. It looks like a reptile's brain. Um, It is where your emotions are. It is where your fight or flight impulses are, your survival instincts are. The last part of your brain to finish growing that doesn't really stop cooking until you're like in your mid twenties is the prefrontal cortex. That is where all of your concepts of delayed gratification, logic, and most importantly to this topic, language hang out. You ask a child why they hit their brother and the child's going to say, I don't know. That's not them dodging the question. That is them legitimately not having the hardware in their brain to self-reflect and say, I was feeling mad. I felt so mad that all I could think of to do was to hit my brother. Um, And this is why kids play instead of talk about their feelings. They recreate stressful situations through play and essentially work it out and try to master them. Uh, Doing play therapy, you'll a lot of the time see a kid like make a family of lions and then be like, ooh, mommy lion was bad. Mommy lion, you should have let kid lion do this. And then they'll go bury mommy lion in the sand. They'll go play with something else for a while and they'll dig mommy lion back up and be like, okay, you can come back. You can be with the family again, mommy lion. You had your punishment. And it's like, dude, that kid just forgave his mom. You know, like that's that's what that looks like for a child. Um, And so when you see this whole movie of this kid clearly trying to work through something, well, you don't really know that. You think it's just a pretty typical chosen one, evil, structure, bad, free form thinking, good. And then you have this cinematic moment. And I can't describe how mind blowing this was to me the first time I saw it in the theater when Will Ferrell in person walks down the stairs and they mm-hmm. just, they keep him in the dark. They make you wonder. They re- they knew what they were doing and they got the most they possibly could have out of that moment. And then you see that this whole movie that you have been watching the whole time is a kid expressing his relational issues with his controlling father. And I cried as they were working through their stuff. It is truly beautiful. Um, I'm crazy about it, man. And yeah. it's, uh, it's it's a very emotional arc for that child and for the child within me um, and for the play therapist within me. And I just think that is what that is what pushed this movie from being something more than like a, a well above average family movie into something that is just like a classic, something that is going to stick with me forever is that scene yeah i i gotta say they really earned that surprise because you know will ferrell while you're watching it, you know will ferrell is that voice actor 
Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, like you were saying, you, he comes down the stairs and you're like, oh, wow. That's, yeah. it all simultaneously surprises you, but then just makes absolutely perfect sense. Yeah, but you just never thought in your mind that they would go there and do that. And that was them actually taking a risk. And actually, you know, we're talking about that Lego brand of humor. Mm -hmm. That is fully deviating from it. Exactly, yeah. That has that is not at all on brand with like every bit of like Lego media that you've come to know. And mm -hmm. of course it has to happen like outside of the Lego world. It has mm -hmm. to be like in our human world. That's the only way that that sort of transition or that kind of departure makes any real sense. Yeah. It's them despite and this is what i love about this movie and this is why we shouldn't excuse stupid stuff that comes out as movies and say well we're just trying to make money it's a cash cow we just have to accept it the way it is no we don't this this movie is a branding exercise designed to make money that's all it is literally in my notes <laughs> yep in my notes i say let's be honest it's a way to sell their toys a hundred percent and this is proof that you can do that and make a really great movie and take artistic risks hollywood is being lazy and we should never excuse them for it because the lego movie which is just a two hour long lego commercial if you want to look at it through through a cynical lens that's why this movie got made there's no way it would ever happen without this and they made a great movie a really great movie that challenged the form. That's right, I said it. Whoa! Challenged the form. Yeah. Commented on the form. Contributed to the genre. There you go. Hell yeah, man. It feels like once... You know, there's been a lot of movies in this same sort of vein or genre that are just like, we'll just give them what they want to see and they're and they'll take it and they'll buy our toys. Mm -hmm. But when you inject actual personality into it, you've got something Art. like, like that's something that, I can't think of another example. I want to say Transformers, but <laughs> they're not really trying to sell toys with that. They're just like paying it. <laughs> they're way past selling Transformers toys and just building like a, a multinational movie brand with Transformers. That, that was That was definitely about the movies, but you know what i mean like you're you're coming out with a thing to sell another thing why do we need to have any sort of personality to it and that's something that just seems lost on a lot of these out umbrella term corporations and it's just like personality is what it's actually selling me on this mm -hmm. let Absolutely. it happen like Hollywood is fill, filled with screenwriters and directors who want to make stuff like the Lego movie that has heart and soul and like expresses their artistic instincts and they get stuck making dumb stuff that's supposed to appear to like or that's supposed to appeal to like some random hick in Texas and someone across the world in China and in order to do that you just have to make it real lowest common denominator for people who are that different culturally to relate to something and this is this is mother effing proof that if you gave these people the ball they would run with it and make you money <laughs> like and, there you go. and then 
we'd also get to have a lot more good movies. And that would be great. Because as we've said in previous episodes, I, I, I don't believe anyone who's ever like, it used to be about the art. No, it was always about making money. That's what they were doing. But they were under the delusion, the completely false impression that you had to make a good movie for people to come see it. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. People will still pay money for mediocre to bad movies. And the Lego movie just made a good one anyways. Yeah. God bless them. Yeah. Good on them. We're not going to sell as many Cruella Funko Pops unless we put a crazy train in the soundtrack. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad we didn't do Cruella for our first episode like we originally planned. Oh my god, dude. I was going to. Then I like, I just, I still haven't seen it, but. Me neither. I'm talking out of ignorance. I totally here. wanted to see that Dalmatian kill her mom. <laughs> Um, That's why she's bad. I want to end a debate. I Please. want to end a debate right now. Am I debating you? What is... No, not What's... you. What's it's, the it's a debate that's happening culturally? Hit me. Will Arnett is the best Batman. Are you saying that he is, or are you ending the debate by saying he's not? I'm ending the debate by saying he is. Okay. I don't want to hear your Christian Bales. I don't want to hear your Michael Keatons. I don't want to hear your George Clooney's. I don't want to hear your Val Kilmer's. I don't want to hear your Ben Affleck's. Will Arnett is the best Batman ever. All right. I hold this truth to be self-evident. <laughs> <laughs> I have literally no further points about this. Like... Like he is elaborate and i do not plan on it i do not feel the need to qualify my statement i i really love like you ending a debate is just you stating like it's this way yeah i'm done that's <laughs> it. argument presented goodbye that's it uh, here's the, the thing Batman. here's the thing you're kind of right <laughs> <laughs> see you're coming around dude uh, making Batman self-aware does so much for the character. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's like, um, I think it's something that needs to be done because basically Christopher Nolan made his Batman trilogy and it totally introduced this really awesome at the time superhero trope of being gritty um, and edgy. And that was really awesome and it changed the genre and I loved it. And then every superhero movie followed suit and everyone had to be gritty um, and fully misunderstood that that is something that works specifically for Batman and not for Captain America. Um, you know, like <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that is that that is a good thing that comes from the character Batman that is different from a lot of superheroes. And so now gritty brooding superheroes are really obnoxious and really played out and trite um, and I think this was a really much needed uh, way to make fun of Batman, <laughs> to kind of mock Batman lovingly. It I needed only work happen. with blacks and sometimes very dark gray. <laughs> what a great line. What a Dude, great line. How do we make Captain America's blue even darker, but still blue? <laughs> it's just stop. Just let him, let him be him. 
How do they're we play? Like, characters. Like, made in, they live in pastel worlds. <laughs> Superman's blue is almost black at this point. What are we, what are we doing? <laughs> it's out of control. Superman is supposed to be hilariously overpowered. It's fine. Just let him shoot his little laser beams and fly around. And that's all you have to do. We don't need, like, god metaphors and stuff. Don't or worry, do we? because we have we have moved on from that phase, and we are officially trying to make everything like Guardians of the Galaxy instead of trying to make it like the Dark Knight. See Suicide Squad in theaters! It's better than the last one, we promise! Directed by James Gunn, director of Guardians of the Galaxy. I can't believe they put that in the trailer. I cannot <laughs> believe that they were that patronizing but... and condescending as to put that in the trailer. They, they should have just put in the trailer it's basically guardians of the galaxy <laughs> did you like guardians of the galaxy well come see guardians of the galaxy 2 without any of them <laughs> <laughs> but it's got john cena it's great do, 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 do. but you can't see him in the movie all right uh denny hey let's uh yeah let's go into some more points i i think that my girlfriend has requested my phone hold on there you go. Okay, my wife was sending us notes on our last episode when this started. Yeah, I texted <laughs> her back. Audio quality notes. <laughs> I adjusted the audio quality like, oh, we're getting meta in this episode. Whoa, I... we are getting all meta. Oh, it fits the theme. I uh, adjusted some of the audio settings about 15 minutes in, so some stuff changes. If Danny and I sound more balanced, it's because Vanessa rules. Thanks, Vanessa. Thanks, Vanessa. We've said thank you, Vanessa, so many times. I'm never going to get tired of it. Me neither. Um, you were talking about the transition from uh, the Lego world to the human world, how impactful that was. I do think it's really funny and really fits with the meta theme that Emmett, our main character, is written with meta jokes. He seems like super self-aware. Like He's written as a super meta character. But he's the only one to cross over into the realm of, like, the real world. Mm -hmm. But his character is still only existing, even in his own mind, within the Lego world. Well, yeah, he's basically this prophet who has had visions of God in yep. their canon. <laughs> you know, like, that's, like, they go into that, um, that he's seen the human hands because his mind is so empty. Um, <laughs> he really is this Lego Christ. <laughs> that you, you have to give credit for um i also to get meta about the way culture has changed and the way movies reflect that i actually love that we're doing an arnold schwarzenegger movie because something i've pointed out about um just how like the way we look at our heroes has changed that i really love is that like in the 80s and 90s arnold was our leading man in action adventure movies and in like the 2010s it's chris pratt you know like that's mm -hmm. like more of a modern action hero who is not this muscled up badass who always uh always knows what to say is completely invulnerable it's actually like an insecure goofball trying to be cool but sometimes failing um and i think you see that in emmett really well just uh in general how this is the like the prophet of the world and he is just such a blatant every man um that we're not really supposed to admire him as much as we're supposed to relate to him 
I love that. Yeah, that that does carry carry through to a lot of the action movies, even the one starring Chris Pratt in like live yeah. action. That carries no, that's through. What I'm saying. Well. Yeah, yeah, all the time. Jurassic World, Guardians of the Galaxy, Tomorrow <laughs> War. I guess I haven't seen it yet. Have you? Jupiter Ascending. Uh <laughs> no, that was uh, that was drawing a blank. Oh no. I oh, thought no. it was Chris Pratt, so I can't. No, 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 no. It's 21 Jump Street, not Jonah Hill. What's the guy's name? Um, um, Please Channing help. Tatum. Channing, Channing Tatum. Tatum. Oh, thank you. Is oh. that really Channing Tatum? Yeah, it's Channing Tatum. All white people look the same to me, so I just <laughs> thought it was. Uh, I've just thought it was Chris Pratt this whole time. For those at home, uh, Danny is white. <laughs> oh my God, this is blowing my mind. I just pulled up IMDb. Because I didn't believe you. I've always thought it was Chris Pratt. Is that seriously Channing Tatum? Yeah, that's Channing Tatum in Jupiter wow. or something. He plays like a wolf man. It's, it looks dumb. <laughs> haven't seen the movie. Probably. I, I haven't seen the movie. Probably won't. Can't wait to review it on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> someone's going to make us watch it or we're going to watch it. And all this time I've been too busy loving myself. But eventually I will watch Jupiter Ascending. I'm pretty sure. Oh my god. That's right. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, final mm. thoughts on Lego Movie. You have anything? A uh, couple stray ones here. Remember when Elizabeth Banks was in everything? That ruled. Yeah, what had American Summer, Thirty Rock. Um... Dude, the mid twenty ten, she was just popping up everywhere. She was just showing up. Uh, She's great. I, I don't think... care. No, it's not really happening as much anymore. But I love Elizabeth Banks. I am glad that she got an all time leading role here. Um. I wonder if Big Bang Theory fans feel attacked by this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I also, I also really sucked at building Legos without the instructions, so who am I to talk? Um, uh, yes, I have two more things. Mm -hmm. One is, um, I think this is a once-in-a-generation IP crossover, and we haven't really talked about it. Yes! Um, yes! This is the most mind-blowing thing since Who Framed Roger Rabbit as far as, like, intellectual properties working it out for five minutes and showing up on a screen together. Dude, I'm so happy you said that. One of my notes, I will read it verbatim. Anytime you can bring in all kinds of Warner Brothers IP and make it work, you should. Does not feel entirely, ex like, exhausting fan service since the known characters are all done in a new and, ref and uh, freshly entertaining way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on that note uh, remember when an officially licensed Star Wars cameo was super awesome and fun <laughs> Chewy because <laughs> <laughs> I watched it I watched it this time and I was like oh, I remember loving that <laughs> yeah I, I forgot it was in it <laughs> me and too I, I like, forgot about it the Millennium because... Falcon shows up like oh yeah and with actual Harrison Ford and Billy D. Williams voice acting for it Chewy, this amazing. isn't the right. <laughs> it was amazing. It was but amazing. And it was like, I was watching it now and I was like, Ugh. and of course Star Wars had to get shoehorned in there. But then I remembered seeing this in theaters and I was like, wait, no. That was like one of the most awesome parts of the movie because I hadn't had Star Wars beaten to death with their one a year every year until you die shit. Oh I was God. so excited when this happened. This ruled. <laughs> That's something 10% that of it is good. Keep consuming. <laughs> there are two good movies in this 12 movie franchise. We made one show that rocks. Enjoy six more. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, man. Um, sorry for hitting the microphone, audience. <laughs> sorry for laughing and breaking your earbuds, audience. Oh, man. Sorry for making Denny laugh and breaking your earbuds, audience. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm just going to end it on this hot take. Go for it. It feels true to me in this moment. I don't know if I want to commit to it in the future, so don't ask me about it. Um, Because I haven't really thought it through. uh, Do not text Denny. (laughs) Um, I like this better than any Pixar movie. I don't know that I really want to commit to it, but that is a thought i had while watching it greg your reaction i think you heard it you took you took my breath away buddy (laughs) okay listen i say this i'm saying you're taking my breath away this is shocking me but we're gonna do critical ratings here in a second and i want to see what pixar movies i have higher rated than lego movie because holy i don't know man I think I might have two rated higher. I know Luca's yeah. lower. Like I said, I always I, I, I go back and revise my critica ratings all the time. So <laughs> I do it I do it I don't do it all the time, but I do it uh, often. Yeah. Like I said, recency bias really affects me and sometimes I definitely am flipping through it while I'm entering something else and I'm like, mm, that wasn't that great. I gotta move it down a little bit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I actually haven't entered the Lego movie into Critiker yet because I haven't written a review for it yet. Gas. Um, I can only think of where I think I'll put it. And I actually do think I have... I know I have one Pixar movie rated higher. Me too. Um, I just found it. But then again, am I talking about what's better or am I talking about what I like more? Because I try to differentiate that. Um, oh, jeez. Critiker rating, I'm going to give this a soft commit to a 43 out of 50 that's good yeah that's good it's really good i think the the i don't want to flip through all this to be honest um i know i have uh i know i have toy story one at a 45 maybe even a no it's at a 45 yeah let me see where i have wally because that's my favorite pixar but i do think i have wally because i know that one is my favorite but i don't think i have it higher than Okay. Okay, I'll jump into this real quick. My critical ratings are Wally is a 35, which is my same rating for adaptation, an 8.75 out of 10. Lego Movie is a 36 out of 40, mm. which is the equivalent of a 9 out of 10. And I was wondering if I had any Pixar movies higher. I just looked. I have a review a review from 2011 where I put Finding Nemo at a 37. Which is Ooh, Finding Nemo, really? I loved that movie. That came out like perfect time for like my life. And just like but I I've said like in the last year or so, um different online places, just like I think Wally is actually the best Pixar film and I should change my ratings. I I change my ratings all the time too, when I realize yeah. I've made it maybe not a mistake, but more like a gained new perspective on how i feel about this and this mm-hmm. is just like within the context of pixar and animation i feel like I sh- it should be higher within the context of all film i don't know 
Maybe I put Finding Nemo too high. But yeah, Lego Movie, I teased it before. This was my highest rating of the show so far is a 36 out of 40, 9 out of 10. I'm looking now at a, a Toy Story 1 is the only Pixar movie I have rated higher than this. And I think I'm going to stick to that. Maybe I do like it better, but especially like in terms of just like revolutionizing a genre, mm-hmm. you've got to give Toy Story a little extra pointage for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, other things I have sitting at 43 are Wally, Toy Story 3, and Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. Oh, uh, I have Spider Verse higher. But yeah, maybe okay. we'll get into it one day. Maybe it belongs higher. I think I, I do have some uh I do have some other animated movies higher than this. Um I have some like you know, just some like some Disney classics, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, a few Miyazaki films rated higher than this. But mm-hmm. uh man, if this isn't better than any Pixar movie, it's one A. You know, like it's yeah. like it's right there with me. It's in that tier. Um, I am a I am a huge fan of the Lego movie decidedly. Um Greg, do you have a favorite line? Uh, I had a tough choice between one of the first lines and the very last line. <laughs> what are those? Um, Vitruvius is giving his speech. This is the one I landed on. Uh, I landed on one of the first lines in the movie is Vitruvius giving his whole prophecy, mm-hmm. and he ends it with, all this is true because it rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> and that it it just perfectly sets the tone for the film and like the sense of humor that you're going to get out of the movie and it's it's fabulous um it was barely ahead of the one of the very last lines which was we are from the planet duplo and we oh. are here to destroy you oh good um, um which i just love i'm gonna go with <laughs> darkness <laughs> no parents <laughs> Denny Taylor, huge fan of Lego Batman. Uh, I love the Lego Batman movie, too. I wouldn't rate <laughs> it as highly as this, but I do love it. It's a really good movie. The first time I saw Lego Batman was on a plane, and I was pretty upset because I was like, I need to watch this on like a TV now. Oh, I saw that bad boy in theaters. I, I paid uh, Movie Tavern for that before Alamo Drafthouse was in the mix of Denton. Shout out Alamo Drafthouse. Yeah, Lego, yeah. Lego yeah. Batman rules. Sponsor us. Sponsor us. <laughs> We'll do First live at Alamo Draft House. We'll do live events in your theater. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. Lego cool. movie. That rules. Way to put a bow on it, man. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. All right. We're about to do seamless edit. You ready? Yes. I should have surprised you. That's my fault. Oh. Normally, like, how do you, how do you like being surprised with the seamless edits? Um, All right, seamless edit three. Here we go and go. Seamless edit two. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. We're here to talk about Last Action Hero, which is our last action movie of the night. <laughs> I'm Denny, talking. why are you laughing? There was a there was a surprise seamless edit um, in our long going effort to uh, to make sure none of our edits are actually seamless. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Um, now, Denny, this was your pick. Tell me about Last Action Hero. So, uh, I am an unironic Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. Um, Hell yeah. I, I, like, okay, he doesn't always hit a home run. And in the 90s, they had this, like, weird thing where they were like, we want to humanize Arnold. Let's make twins. Let's make kindergarten Bob. 
Um, it only worked once, and that was in Jingle All the Way. Um, he doesn't always hit a home run, but I, I really do think that, like, I think he is mocked too much because, like, when he chooses a, an action sci-fi, basically something that suits him, I think he plays his role really well. Um, and complaining that Arnold is not some sort of dynamic actor is like complaining that it's hot in Texas in the summer. Like, shut up. No, I'm we, still going to no, complain about that. But it's it's like at the in my house, the house that I was living in during the last season of The Office, we had a rule that if you were still watching The Office, you weren't allowed to complain about it because no one wants to hear it. It's such a stupid like everyone knows this show sucks now. And if you're still watching it, that's on you because you got invested in something stupid. We're and, going to one day do an episode where we forget movies and we're just going to rip into the office. So <laughs> save the content. Okay. I'm on your side. <laughs> where else can you get the best and worst TV ever made all under the same show? Oh my um, gosh. All that goes to say, I, I really am a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, I love his high concept action sci-fi movies i think that there's just no one like him i think there's a lot of people have tried hollywood was looking for the next schwarzenegger and stallone and jean-claude van damme and uh you know they never found him because arnold schwarzenegger is a one of a kind um one of a kind performer and i'm a crazy big fan greg has two fingers up both of those actors were a part of this movie's meta but please yes. continue. <laughs> no, and, and, uh, nothing against either of them. It's just... They're great. I love them. But yeah. They were trying to replace someone who was irreplaceable. You just couldn't do it. There's not another Arnold. Um, and so all that goes to say, I'm a huge fan of him for real. Not in like a like, like I, I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, yeah. just, I just think he's the shit. I have two Arnold Schwarzenegger posters in the movie, in the room I'm sitting in right now. Um, I have a poster for Terminator and a tie poster for Total Recall, both movies I love. And what I love so much about The Last Action Hero and why it was a good fit for this episode, Movies for When You Want to Get All Meta, is uh, it bombed in 1993. Bombed. Yeah. Yeah. Just absolute disaster, box office disgrace. Um I think if this came out on Netflix tomorrow, it would be heralded as a brilliant, self-aware, career retrospective, self-reflective Arnold Schwarzenegger project. I think that it is good. I think that it is fantastic. And I think that it was truly before its time. It's like, uh, it wasn't even cutting edge. The ed We weren't at the edge. You know, like culture was not ready for it. People weren't ready to think about movies in this way and they made it anyways and for that reason i love it and i am here to make a case for it because it's like definitely something that people mention in like uh in their like so bad it's good categories and i'm like how about you shut the fuck up and recognize greatness when it is in front of you because last action hero is so good it's amazing i don't want to hear any of this ironic watch stuff about last action hero it is a fantastic movie. It is a bold movie. It is a smart movie. And it is a hilarious movie. I laughed out loud 
watching it alone this is the third time i've seen it and i laughed out loud watching it alone throughout the whole thing it's great dude speaking as someone that i have never seen this movie i never saw it um i didn't watch it until uh just a few days ago when we we're watching it for this episode and i totally understand what you're saying I don't think there's any room for the it's so bad it's good fit for this. Like, that's not a description for this movie at all. Like, it's... I would say it's definitely ahead of its time, and I feel like any argument of it being... Well, not, no one's going to argue it, but, like, any anybody claiming this is, like, oh, it's just so terrible, like, this is a bad 1993 film. No. Just just go into it with a fresh mind now, like I did. And it's it it holds up. It pays off really well. Dude, anyone who is saying that fundamentally misunderstands the text of the movie that they are consuming. They are like broadcasting their own idiocy, their own inability to receive what they are watching and understand it. This is not so bad it's good. This is something that is intentionally dialing up action tropes to 11 as a like satire slash homage. Um, if you think this is so bad, it's good. Um, you've got beef with me. I would revoke your friend of the show title. <laughs> if, yeah, I'd do it. I wouldn't do it. Don't do say it. anything, Will Reno. Friend or of the show, Will Reno. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't do it to him. You've got two friends um, of the show so far. Gosh. I I didn't realize how much I loved this movie till I started talking about it. You're passionate, I, man. Like I'm very passionate. I love this movie. I think it's fantastic. And it's actually going to be one of my <laughs> one of my lower rated criticers. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real ironic. I was about to say I hope I don't break your heart with my critiker score. But yeah. No, no, no. I, I, well, cuz I will say this about it up front. To get a 4 stars or higher from me, you have to transcend the genre and I'm not going to try to pretend this does. It represents um, the genre very well, but yeah, maybe that's no, as far uh, as we put it. No, 100%. And we'll, we'll get into that later. I don't mm -hmm. want to spoil our, our closing gimmick, you know. We got um, gimmicks, folks. We got gimmicks. Um, <laughs> Give me the gimmicks. So my first note on this was that I wanted to make a joke when we did the podcast of, I didn't really understand it because I haven't seen the first action hero. Oh, my God. Um, but then the movie makes that joke themselves, so I was like, well, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that's how far ahead of their times they were brilliant i was brilliant. trying to outsmart it and it outsmarted me it was one step ahead of me oh man how old how old were you when this movie came out three years old i, I was, was seven when i first saw it i was uh, i don't know when it came out i would have been either two or three and again i i was 30 years old when i saw it because i saw it last week yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, where do we even begin? I just well, have like so many notes on this. Well, we just can, like, things I liked. We can start from the beginning. Let's. All right. I I feel like it's it's really great filmmaking in terms of uh, the feel of the movie between the cinematic world of the movie that Danny. Go oh, spoilers. The. <laughs> The cinematic feel of the movie that Danny goes into versus the real world of gritty, mm -hmm. hard New York. I feel like they're two completely different movies, 
on how they're filmed, how they sound, how they look. Uh, just the vibe you get from these two different settings is so different that it's hard to believe that it's the same movie. I think they do a really good job of creating two different films. The one you're actually watching and then the one they're... I wouldn't say parodying, but the one that they go into, the entire... Danny's entire argument is like, hey, no, this is a movie, and it looks and feels like a movie. I think they do a really good job of uh, differentiating the two. Oh, absolutely, you know, and that's kind of the... Uh... You know, as a kid who, and and an adult who still uses movies in this way, um, they're an escape from reality. Because reality, uh, it's why I'm not a, it's why I'm not impressed with realism, as I've stated many times in our three episodes already. Um, reality ain't so hot all the time. Reality kind of sucks a lot of the time. Um, and I want to watch something better than reality. Um, and that's what a movie gives you. I think you can have an unhealthy relationship with that escape. I think you need to face your reality. And if you're unsatisfied with it, you need to work on improving it. Right. But like, um, there's a really chilling line that really ties it all together. You know, when we've seen this gritty world of like crime and single mothers who work through the night and kids who have no friends and beautiful, awesome movie theaters closing down due to lack of business, um, which is so much worse than kids who have no friends and single working moms. Just <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> um, number one on that list. Yeah. Um, where, uh, what's his name? Tywin Lannister eventually goes, uh, in this world, the bad guys can win. Um, and it's just like, yeah, to go back to what I said a little bit earlier about, uh, I'm not really sure that life fits a narrative. Uh, yeah, there's people who get away with awful things and, I don't even think it always eats them up inside and there's some sort of greater moral victory of they were dissatisfied with themselves and you were satisfied with yourself because you did the right thing. I think some people can be horrible and feel fine about it. Um, I think we have a great capacity for dissonance and I think we have a great capacity for uh, justifying our own behaviors and acting in our own self-interest and the bad guys can absolutely win in this world. Um, and that's why Arnold's world is better. <laughs> that's why I like it more. <laughs> that's so awesome. Yeah, and uh, shout out Tywin Lannister. I don't uh, even know the actor's name. I just know he's Tywin Lannister. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at him like, you, you said it and my mouth was agape because I was like, oh, that's right. I forgot he was Tywin Lannister. It's like, of yep. course. I think I've done so much uh, mental work to repress the last season of Game of Thrones that I just forget <laughs> stuff like that. We, we all had to find our own way to part with our love for Game of Thrones. Everybody's got to cope with the just divorce of yeah. any sort of love for that show. Some of us just dissociated from it entirely. And if that's what you did, then... Good on you. But I actually I'm, had this I'm thought. jealous of you if that was you. I'm very jealous. <laughs> um, man. How funny is Arnold mispronouncing his own name? <laughs> <laughs> How hilarious is that? Extremely. Extremely. <laughs> Dude. Like, one other joke in this movie that was like... I think I had watched something about this... Uh, about this movie like years ago on YouTube it was just like this movie was ahead of its time it like 
I totally forgot I watched this video until I watched this movie. And it was just like the joke of Terminator 2, that Terminator 2 poster yeah. in the video store. Like, oh, I remember this joke being brought up in like a YouTube review of this. And oh. then I saw it in the movie and I still laughed out loud because it was so good. So amazing. What does he say? This isn't the exact line, but when Arnold's like, it was his best performance. You know? like, like, he's great. He's upcoming. Yeah. This is his best performance. Yes. He, oh, it's so it's so funny. Did you notice that the axe that the Ripper makes looks almost exactly like the axe Nick Cage forges in Mandy? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> I was really pleased with that because Mandy references a lot of movies. I don't know that they intended to do this, but... Uh, it references a lot of cool horror movies, and if they were just doing this obscure axe from the last action hero, I would just love Mandy even more than I already do. Yeah, yeah exactly, dude. Um, a little peek behind the curtain for people. We have a, a shared spreadsheet of um, episode ideas and the movies that we pick for each of them. The very second entry is Untitled Nicolas Cage episode. It will come out in the future. <laughs> But the second I put that, I put Mandy as my pick. Oh yeah, it, it will, will be. It will come up. We will discuss Mandy. Don't worry. We're doing Mandy, people. We're doing it. And I would, I would even wager that there will be, uh, there will be a lot of untitled Nicolas Cage episodes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, there's no way we're keeping it to three. We'll find a way, man um yeah uh mandy was a movie that i think you got me for was it christmas or was it my birthday one of the two i got it for you on blu-ray yeah you got me the blu-ray man i think it was my birthday I and my say. friend davis i think also got it for me on blu-ray so <laughs> it's the sisterhood of the traveling mandy blu-ray i did not <laughs> to you. i kept mine uh it's more like the ring the movie the ring yeah you have to buy someone else mandy on blu-ray to keep it alive <laughs> Oh my god. What a great movie. Man, one of my notes here is that I was 45 minutes in with no notes. Just like No way. Nothing to criticize. I do have some things to criticize if we want to get them out of the way, but I made it like I made it 45 minutes with just like nothing critical to say whatsoever. I was having a really good time too. I don't think I made it that long. Um Give me one of your notes. Um I'll just read it verbatim. Do we want to talk about how the concept and concepts in this film make me question the vanity of life itself, or do we want to talk about the animated yes. cat who's a cop? <laughs> Por que no los dos? Por que no los dos? Oh my god! <laughs> what a sentence! <laughs> what a sentence! <laughs> oh. What do you want to start with? Animated cat or vanity of life? Itself? The vanity of life itself or the fact that the animated cat shows up in a deus ex machina. <laughs> oh, man. Greg, you gotta take the lead on this one, man. I was not ready for that. I, I mean, I feel like I've said enough. <laughs> um, like the... I love the animated cat. <laughs> I love the animated cat. He reminds me a lot of... Uh, this is like the fifth reference to 30 Rock in this very episode. Great but show. Meat Cat 
it, it reminds me of Meat Cat from 30 Rock, this animated cat. It rules, and I love him. Um, yeah, like, the vanity of life, dude. It's just like, Danny's just like, no, man, this is just a movie. The real world is so much like this, so much like this, and, like, everybody's at odds with, like, their own perception of their reality. And then the movie characters go into the real world, which, you know, as an audience, we know, like, oh, it's the real world. It's actually better because everything we know. And then you're just like, is there a better existence outside of our own real world that, you know, you step back from the world of a movie and you step back from a world of reality and there's this better life that we just cannot comprehend or we just have no perspective on. But then there's this animated cat that shoots F. Murray Abraham. <laughs> and, you, and you just stop thinking about it. I mean, I look at it this way, and I agree with you. I, I, I honestly just think there's so many questions I have about life and the universe that I'm just not going to get answers to before I die. <laughs> like, I'm just going <laughs> to die wondering about parallel dimensions and string theory, and I'll never know. Infinite and that, Biff theory infinite myth theory etc um, i don't wonder about that i know about that. that's just facts. that one's a closed loop that's a brother. physical fact brother <laughs> um i uh you know i've just kind of come to terms with that that it's like yeah you know if i lived at a different time in the world maybe i would know some of these things but very low odds of us figuring it all out while i'm alive and i'm kind of okay with that um if you give me a ticket that could transport me to another world, a golden ticket from Houdini. Yes. Now I have a problem on my hands of, do I want to see the other world? But unless you give me some sort of MacGuffin like that, um, it's kind of irrelevant, you know, that I'm like, well, I don't know. This is the life I get. I should probably try to enjoy it as much as I can because I, I know I've got this one, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I don't, I don't know if there's other ones. I don't know if there's parallel timelines or universes. As long as I don't have a button I can press that could take me into another kind of life, it's just kind of a non-issue for me. But then, you know, this creepy old guy, projectionist, goes and drops this, like, horrible trauma on this child of, <laughs> of giving him uh, a portal into another dimension, and now this kid has to live his whole life knowing that there are other worlds, um, and that he could access them if he only had the right magical object. Dude. And it definitely exists. It is definitely real. This was never part of anyone's dream or hallucination or anything. Like, It's like when, uh, when Sid... You, you realize Toy Story is a little different when... Uh, in Toy Story 3, they're, like, making fun of Sid for being a garbage man, and you're like, this boy is cursed with being the only person on Earth who knows that toys are alive. Yes! And he mock his profession, right? <laughs> like, yes! He a horrible life, and his dad's an abusive alcoholic. And <sighs> then he had to find out that toys are alive, and no one will ever believe him. Nobody will ever believe him. And you're going to mock the essential service he provides. He Greg, makes... What are you going to do with your trash if the garbage man stops coming? I don't know. Me Nobody neither. knows. Me neither. So why are you making fun of the garbage man, Toy Story 3? Whatever the hell Andy is doing in college is going to make him less money than Sid is making as a garbage man. And provide less societal value. 
I benefit from the garbage man so much more than I benefit from my doctor. Wait, what? <laughs> I didn't say I doctors. Go for like uh, once a year. I thought I thought like uh, Andy was gonna go for like marketing or something. Oh no, I was just saying. <laughs> Andy's like a graphic designer or something. Oh no, he's doing um, like liberal arts. He's yeah, he's, he's gonna get a communications degree and make a podcast in his thirties. Boy, is that guy. He's up. gonna write a screenplay that never gets picked up. Gosh, man, what a loser! He should have been a garbage man like his successful neighbor Sid. Yeah, he's. Um, all I'm saying is my garbage man helps me every week, and I would just have a big pile of trash in my house without him that I have no idea what to do with. I would, I would throw it in the street, throw it in the neighbors' yards. I would. Yeah. Yeah. My neighbors moved out. It would be a while before I got caught. <laughs> it's, it's vacant next door right now. <laughs> yeah, in three weeks it might be an issue. Yeah. What were we talking about? Um, the vanity of life. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love this show, man. I do too, man. Um, I, I'll give a note because it's mostly positive. Please, um, please give us a real topic to discuss. That was a real topic. Maybe the realest topic we've ever discussed. <laughs> we um, got too real and we laughed our way through it. Yeah, I had a real note that uh, it got a little less fun when they stopped making a love letter to action movies and tried to just do an actual action movie. Um, yeah. I, I could have lived without... Uh, the dead kid stuff you know just the like so uh, could ray charles but he did it anyway sorry that's a john Mulaney joke. it's a reference for two people go ahead i don't even get it sorry um, <laughs> um done this a lot today i'm sorry <laughs> all this goes to say is like um i don't think this needed any stakes or drama because part of the premise of the movie is that uh most of the characters aren't real so why would we care about any of their problems? You know, like, um, I think they, they had a misstep there. Um, on that note, I think it was way too long. I, I think for, for doing something this high concept, and I don't know what I would really cut, because I also loved every minute of it, but, like, yeah, this is a two-hour movie, and I'm like, for doing something this meta and this high concept and this funny, you really should just kind of get in and get out. You know, like we don't really need to to drag it out too long. It felt like uh it felt like we basically added a fourth act when they went to the real world. It yeah. was like we're not at the climax yet. Um and these characters completely have to cross another threshold and adjust to new challenges and enter another special world. Um all that goes to say with some of the with with some of them like trying to do some serious moments. I did think they did a good job of walking it back in terms of tone because okay. there would pretty consistently be like, I was like, mm, you're trying for something a little too emotional for what you've sold me here for what I'm bought into. And then they would like do a joke like two seconds later. So I do think that they like, <laughs> they did a good job of, of keeping it in the ballpark of what it was supposed to be. I'm just saying, like I said, I, this didn't need stakes. This yeah. didn't need some sort of vested interest. This was, you know, a child having a magical adventure with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and did we really need redemption arcs about saving dead children? Did we need to like, like I hated when uh, when Arnold comes or when Jack Slater comes into the real world, and they try to do this like emotional moment where like uh, the projectionist is like honored to meet him, and he goes, he does this like I just found out I'm not real, 
I'm not so happy about it and has this like introspective moment and I was just like the movie doesn't need this just yeah go get the fucking bad guy you know like that was just so like uh again as I often quote Abed Nadir heavy-handed drama to create the illusion of story yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we just we didn't need it this was a series of bits and that's all I wanted it to be I feel like that's more of a consequence of it being 1993 and somebody was just like well these things have to happen right for this kind of story you're creating but i feel like it those things don't necessarily take away from what i like about the movie can i talk about what i think is the weirdest thing about the movie what is the weirdest thing about the movie denny hold on my dog's my dog's barking hold on anton i bet the food's here go ahead um i don't really think a deep cut into ingmar bergman's work was for the target audience they were going after but i loved it (laughs) like who watching this movie do you think understands the seventh seal enough to understand what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) reference dude into it they like in the climactic <laughs> moments of the movie they like go for ingmar bergman all of a sudden are the swedish art film guys even swedish i'm not even <laughs> um what was that about i loved it because i love yeah. the seventh seal and i love ingmar bergman but i was like i uh i don't really think you have pandered to this crowd for an hour and 50 minutes what are you doing right now? Dude, <laughs> like, what is this? My main takeaway from that whole thing was, oh my gosh, Ian McKellen's in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that sentiment is totally understood, and I was just like, oh. When I saw that, I like the same the same exact thoughts. I was just like, yeah, that was that was a thing. But is that were people in 1993 way more aware of these things than i give them credit for and i, I think i'm not sure aware. where I, the hell were you supposed to watch the seventh seal in 1993 if you were an american at you think this was... at this fictional theater i think okay so, like, <laughs> was this a movie for art nerds in brooklyn like hell yeah dude you weren't gonna get the seventh seal at your local blockbuster I can't imagine that most people seeing this movie had any idea what the seventh seal was. <laughs> like, and they like definitely like don't expect them to for how they made the rest of the movie. <laughs> right? Like this is for people who like love, love action movies and know every trope. Why are you throwing the seventh seal in here? That's, yeah, that's such a where, weird choice. That's where the crossover doesn't make sense. You throw in jokes about, like, Terminator 2. You throw in jokes about, like, the action genre as a whole. And then you're just like, remember this? No, we don't. We certainly don't. Dude, I made it through University of Texas's film school without ever seeing The Seventh Seal. I saw it in, like, (laughs) my late 20s at Alamo Drafthouse when they were doing a month-long Ingmar Bergman festival. I got formally educated in film from one of the best schools in the nation and didn't have any idea what that movie was. <laughs> Why did they go for that? <laughs> like... <laughs> also, 
all that all that being said we have a couple of gripes i guess oh i, I never said it was a perfect movie no. i said shut the fuck up if you don't understand it no um, nobody's saying that for sure yeah um Answer me this riddle, because I couldn't find anything off of one Wikipedia search, and that's where I lost interest. All right. Um, I'm going to hope it's the uh, same question I posed to you. Hit me. Okay. Bridget Wilson was in Mortal Kombat, Last Action Hero, and Billy Madison between 1993 and 1995. Definitely not on the same page I was thinking, but please continue. Okay. Hell of a few years. A lot of leading roles. She's Sonya Blade and Veronica Vaughn. What happened? I couldn't find anything of like, why'd she stop acting? Did she get blackballed? Did she just decide it wasn't for her? What happened? I literally, when I say I couldn't find anything, I mean, I opened Wikipedia, didn't see anything and kept watching the movie because I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, I, I was talking to my friend Parney, uh, our Toronto based listener about Ooh. this too uh it's one of our one of our episodes ideas uh movies for when you're missing rick moranis i feel like this Ooh. falls under that very i miss well. him every day miss him every day yeah uh, i think it's a rick moranis type situation we're just like maybe she just decided this isn't for me this isn't the life i hoped it would be this is one i dreamed of i guess i'm out Honestly, Make I your actually paycheck hope, and move on. I hope that's what happened because like it's usually that or they spoke out against sexual assault and the industry wouldn't work for them and where wouldn't let them work anymore because they spoke out against sexual assault. So yeah, I, I very much hope that Bridget Wilson just decided she didn't really want to act and made some money and went on and lived her life. Um I, I hope that that's the case. The um, very fact that we're not sure really makes me hope that it's the latter yeah yeah um i hope that she did not experience that horrible horrible trauma because i really love her work and um those are actually definitely three movies that i'm a big homer for last action hero billy madison and mortal kombat i'm a big fan um she did voice sonya blade in a later mortal kombat i saw i was trolling her imdb a little bit uh, cool. mov a movie or one of the games one of the, one of the games sorry one okay of the game. yeah, yeah. you returned to sonya blade which is Super cool because she rules the Sonya Blade. I mean, the newest movie was acceptable. I had a lot of fun watching it. I liked it a lot, and I have a lot of things to say about why didn't they just replace Cole Young with Sonya Blade while we're on the subject? Because uh -huh. if you wanted a fish out of water, you've got one that doesn't suck in Sonya Blade. Yeah, <laughs> she has a cooler arc than him. Unfortunately, so protagonist. Unfortunately, the Mortal Kombat universe is just completely devoid of characters, so, you know, we had to make a, a completely new one. Uh, famous... Mortal Kombat is just famously low on unique characters. You know what my favorite fatality is in all of Mortal Kombat? Having an adult swim shirt. so many memories of playing that game as a kid and my character just putting on a long sleeve <laughs> neoprene swim shirt <laughs> and killing goro <laughs> are we even talking about this movie anymore like <laughs> oh, greg oh greg you had a question for me uh one question
question. I actually have two questions for you. The first one, who is this movie for? Is it for action movie fans or is it for kids? Because the main character is a kid that's in an action movie. Who is it for? Who Who is this designed for? It's a PG-13 film where we were literally pointed out we can't even say the F word. Or maybe it was another word that Schwarzenegger couldn't say. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I the, won't say anything else. The word that is so bad we pretend the F word is the worst word. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly was going to cite what you just referenced uh, as my answer that it's for both. Um, definitely a child protagonist. And they go out of their way to acknowledge, like, most action movies are rated R, at least the ones this one is referencing are rated R, especially at that time. And they go out of their way to acknowledge this is just a PG-13 movie and there's some rules. Um, I can't think that they expected a kid who just loves action movies to be like, <laughs> look at that trope. <laughs> you know, like, oh, that's funny that they did that trope. Um, this is so meta. So I honestly think it's kind of a compromise. It's def I think it's meant to appeal to both. I think it's, if you love action movies that much, you don't need to see boobs and hear the F word or the, uh, the, the, um, Lucille Bluth word, um, or, um, or see like egregious blood. This should be enough for you. The, just like the love letter that they write to action movies should be enough for you. For sure. You're a kid. You don't need all this meta stuff. And this is just a fun adventure about a kid who goes into a movie. Dude, you know, yeah. like, I, I think it's I think it's for both would be my answer to the question. That's perfectly fine. And like we were talking about with the Lego movie, uh, if it's accessible to kids, teens, adults for the same or different reasons, then it it's great. I think you've done a great yeah. job. So I think that does a great job. It's uh, a hard, uh, it's a hard uh, gap to bridge. Like it really is to like bridge to gap. It's a hard bridge to gap. There we um, go. There we go. Gap to, uh, to, to successfully do that because you know children, teenagers, and adults have very different interests and they're at very different places in their cognitive and emotional development. And if you can. If you can do that well and not have it come across as just like boiled down to lowest common denominator stuff, I think you're doing a really, I think it takes a lot of talent. I think you're doing something great. Yeah. Um, if you haven't noticed, audience, uh, part of the meta of this show is that Denny and I progressively get a little bit more tipsy as the show goes on. That is impossible. Greg, how could you suggest such a thing? Because... <laughs> because it's true <laughs> no direct commentary on this evening's recordings <laughs> end of sentence man you know i have so many just specific things that i made note of that i liked yeah i don't really know if they're worth really revisiting just because it's so much of it is just like i loved that everything was made by acme um yes! That, yes that that was great um frank mccray as lieutenant decker was absolutely amazing every time he was on screen um <laughs> it's one of I the few thought... times where an actor is going like <laughs> and it's one of the best parts of the movie <laughs> it's so good um i popped huge for the organically explainable Twilight Zone theme when he realized he could go to another dimension when Tywin Lannister realized that. What's the actor's name? 
No idea. It was just something that they set up so well. He walks in the house, he turns on the TV, and it's like this old black and white show. And you're like, why is this evil villain watching like old, like, um, old black and white sitcoms? <laughs> for our uh, for our audio only listeners who do not have video, which is everyone but me and Greg. Greg is offering a slice of pizza to his girlfriend. She's Greg. uh yeah, she wanted a bite of mine for some reason. So fill the people in at home. Did she take the bite? She took the bite. Anyway, oh wow, wow, that's a bite. A very selfish bite at that. That's what we call just a little bit of yours in the relationship business. I'm uh, I'm muting my own microphone while I eat. You're welcome. Oh man, do I, do I need to carry this, brother? Uh, you're not eating, are you? No, Wait. I'm not. Continue carrying the show, Denny. Oh man. Well, he just called on Denny, the talent tailor, to show up, have a cocktail, and talk about a movie. Um, Greg, your mic is not muted. <laughs> It's uh, muted on the recording software, not the that's audio call. That's what's truly important um, for people on the recording software who can't hear Greg. We're Sorry. becoming unhinged. Let's wrap this up. Oh, my God. Let's just wrap it up. Uh, Put your pizza down. I'll wrap it up. I'll skip all the stuff I really loved to reference. No, no, no. Like... Get the passion out. Get the passion out, Denny. The Arnold Hamlet trailer fucking rocks. That's right. Um, it was awesome transition into the cartoon i have seen the first action hero it's called hamlet and it fucking sucks they made a better <laughs> movie with arnold um there are so many delightfully nice touches in the early action scenes um and honestly all the action scenes throughout the movie i'm gonna skip this note because i'm saving it for my favorite line i love the line uh do you want to be a farmer here's a couple of acres followed by a ball shot the constant play on the phrase, I'll be back, was great. I laughed my ass off at the dog pyramid. Got to catch the red eye is another stupid good one-liner. Um... <laughs> you can't just plow through your notes, Danny. Come on. You're not here to bounce off. Uh, these are all just one-note things. I'm here. Uh, I'm here. Please. You're back? You're I'm, back? I'm okay. here. I'm physically here. Um, again, the funeral scene is just goat tear. <laughs> so, so good floppy coffins tv is here to show you but yeah it's it's incredible i laughed every time someone either like entered a closet or opened a drawer or glove compartment and it was just full of guns just like 30 guns like... and like a belt of ammo <laughs> guns falling out of every container they could possibly be in was so good and it's just approached with a, like a yeah, that's what's in here. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, because they played it so straight. <laughs> that's what works so much. Um, I am worried that I will get called a hypocrite for my former criticism of Marty McFly not understanding um, that he was the only time travel in his universe and completely giving the character Danny a pass um, in this movie Dude, for yeah. for constantly being like, it's a movie, and let me just get ahead of that scandal right now. Marty McFly was functionally an adult. He had everything about time travel explained to him. He understood the concept and he knew what he was doing. And he was there trying to time travel back into the future. Danny was like 
unexpectedly transported into another dimension with no idea how to get back and no idea what's going on. And also, like, a child child. Not like a late teen, a child child. Um, he gets a pass. Because there yeah. was a reason why he would just be like, I don't know what to tell you guys, but this is a movie. I don't know how to convince anyone of that, but this is a movie. Whereas Marty McFly constantly being like, I saw it on a rerun. Dude. Shut up. The, uh, the video version of this episode is just me nodding aggressively at everything <laughs> everything Denny just said. Dude, what's um, one of my notes, too, is just, like, as soon as Danny gets, like, brought into the movie world, he is immediately so game to be part of the movie. There's there's no time for, like, oh, where am I? That, like, moment of disbelief that you would see in a movie like this normally. He's just like, oh, my God, I'm in this movie. So, yep. anyways, we're in a movie. And it, it, I think it serves the movie, too, because it's two hours long for some reason. It really like, does. That's one of those things we've got to just, the audience just has to get past. We're like, we just got to get through this. Mm -hmm. This kid is, who is obsessed with movies to the point he's just going to this rundown theater that's about to close. Movies are his life. He's always dreamed of being part of these action movies that the second he goes in to one of these action movies for real he's ready he's prepared he's yep. he's totally game to just live in this world but also like provide some perspective to the characters within his newfound world like hey this yeah. is this is fake you guys like this is this is fictional to you guys I, I really liked that. I think it was a great um, sort of transition between worlds. For sure. I mean, it's like if I was eight years old and one second I was at school and another second I just blinked and was across the ring from The Undertaker, I don't see myself asking a lot of questions. I think I would just embrace it and be like, let's go. <laughs> like, well, I might have to go back to school if I think about this too much why let's love it let's live it i've legitimately had like actual dreams where i'm like an nhl player and like i'm hitting the ice and i'm just like the instinct is to just play along and act like you belong but also sure. like some sort of self-awareness of just like this is wild that i'm here because i'm just this guy i'm just this right kid. right so it plays more like a dream than like a kid's actualization of a movie, you know? Sure. God. I love this movie so much. It's pretty great. It's a it's a fun ass time. Do you have anything else to add? I have one more thing to add. I have one question for you and then we can get to your thing. Lay the question on me. Um during the premiere of uh of the movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger is playing himself. Um he says in the previous movie, like a hundred something people die. But in this movie, 48 people die. I didn't get a chance to look this up. Do 48, I can't remember if that's the right number. Do the number that he says, does that number of people die in Last Action Hero? 
I think it's a high number. I'm Googling it now. How many people die in Last Action Hero? Because it feels right. He's like, well, in this movie, 48 people die. And it feels like, to go with the meta theme of the episode, it feels like him saying that is is factual to the movie that the audience has been watching the whole time. Oh, man. I feel like 48 is pretty high. Like, even with a couple scenes where they, like, blew up a house and only the protagonist lived. Um, uh, I'm Googling last action hero body count. Um, Again, I can't remember the exact number that Schwarzenegger said. The the number I'm getting is 89. 89, okay. It definitely wasn't that. I am not even fact-checking that. That's just literally... We're going to blame it on alloutofbubblegum.com, which is a reputable domain name. Yeah, that sounds um, legit. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Danny DeVito voiced Whiskers the Cat. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, it was Danny DeVito as Whiskers the Cat. The, oh, uh, they actually... Sorry, go ahead. I'm on the website now. They break down every single kill. They are final tallying it at 89. Wow. Um, I'm going to give an official plug to alloutofbubblegum.com. Alloutofbubblegum.com. Thank you so much for adding some clarity to this review. That's pretty cool. Thank um, you, guys. Man, my final note, and that is something that is just so on theme with this episode, is the final shot of this movie being Arnold waving goodbye to us as he drives off into the sunset just ruled. I just felt like it was one final wink and nod. Um, I was a huge fan. I just felt so happy when that happened. Yeah, him riding off into the sunset just felt like the perfect way to end the movie. Greg, what's your favorite line? Hold on, I'm chewing some pizza. My favorite line is, uh, spoilers, when Arnold kills Tywin Lannister. And he says, no sequel for you. And then shoots him. That's that was my favorite line. On theme. I knew That's this gimmick was coming, and I was just like, I kind of watched the movie with a little bit of. Um, I was kind of looking for what my favorite line would be, mm-hmm. and that one just instantly jumped out. I was like, this is definitely it. That's up there with damn. He ain't gonna be in Rush Hour Three from the gag reel of Rush Hour Two. Um. <laughs> My favorite line is, uh, can I speak to the drug dealer of the house, please? (laughs) I laughed so hard at that. That's great. It was so funny. Greg, what's your Critica rating? Uh, My Critica rating, um, after finally seeing it 28 years after the release, I gave it a 20. Excuse me. Oh, my dog sneezed, too. 29 out of 40, which is a 7.25 out of 10. Pretty fair. Um, I gave it a 39 out of 50. Okay. Um, Basically being like, I think this is the best a movie could possibly be while still having a narrow appeal. Yeah. Um, This is the best you could possibly do and not cast a wider net to catch everyone. Um, so that's, I think it's the first movie I've rated below four stars on this podcast. That's also because we've pretty much done movies I just love the shit out of so far. And this one is basically, again, 
right at the threshold. I, if you don't give a crap about action movies whatsoever, or meta movies, or film history, or whatever it is, I don't really expect you to like The Last Action Hero. Um, but man, if you do, <laughs> this is the movie for you, brother. That's I'm right. Dude. <laughs> Dude, we're going to... You're right, we have gotten into a lot of movies that we both absolutely love. Well, don't worry, because we're about to not. <laughs> we're about to do the exact opposite. Uh, last action hero discussion is completed. Um, we're here to talk about next week's episode. Uh, we'll discuss it on Twitter at Movies for Win. The next episode is Movies for When You Want to See a Monkey. Is gonna ruin our podcast. I don't care because I love this pick. Do we want to see the? Do we want to say our picks right now? Uh, yeah, we do. So, the, we picked this theme because we decided we want to get a little bit more specific. Um, our our shared spreadsheet of ideas is about two hundred ideas long. <laughs> there are two hundred ideas. I came up with like 18, Denny came up with the rest. Even the talent has to do a little bit of leg work every now and again. Every once in a while, Denny does the Greg work. But <laughs> <laughs> Still going to make that Facebook fan page. Just give me a few more weeks. What are you doing with your dog? I don't know. He's just extremely grumpy because I have food and he doesn't. Well... So next week episode is going to be movies about a monkey. Um, my when you pick, want to see a monkey. Movies for when you want to see a movie about a monkey. No, it's just when you want to see a monkey. Movies for when you want to see a monkey. Okay, yeah. I'll, I can't believe we're doing this. I'll call it that. Dude, there's a lot of movies about monkeys. Starring monkeys. Surprisingly so. Uh, my pick was MVP, Most Valuable Primate. Where <laughs> you might expect a monkey plays hockey. I love that in a world full of Airbud sequels, you chose an Airbud ripoff. <laughs> we do, we do have another one. We do have another theme for movies for when the Airbud concept goes too far. There's like twenty. There's... <laughs> we have trouble narrowing it down for that episode. Um, my pick is uh, Dunstan checks in. I thought about doing the original King Kong, but I thought that's a little too good for what we're doing. I pick Dunstan checks in. And we have outsourced our third pick to friend of the show, Matt Lancaster, who I work on films with at Fright 90, along with Sam Swinson and our friend Jake. I don't know Jake's last name yet because he just joined our crew mm. and he passed the initiation. Um, but Matt has a habit. He just like kept recommending me movies. And after a while, I was like, Matt, you always recommend movies about monkeys. <laughs> it's just like a constant theme. He told me to watch Congo. Um, he told me to watch. Um, he told me to watch Monkey Bone. He told me to watch uh, Monkey Shines. He's a big King Kong fan. Um, so he originally chose. I texted him and was like, "This is your time to shine. Pick a movie." <laughs> he picked What Did Jack Do, which is a 17-minute movie of David Lynch interviewing a monkey. And I said, Matt, pick another movie, preferably a feature. 
and he has officially chosen Every Which Way But Loose, starring Clint Eastwood and his best friend who is an orangutan. I have never heard of this. I love everything about it. If you thought this episode was stupid, let me tell you, next week we are going to separate the hardcores from the casuals. Yes. We are going to separate the people who supported us because they're our friends and the people who have the tolerance to put up with our shit. <laughs> we are going to do a monkey episode, brother. I'm so excited. I'm very excited too, man. It, every which way but loose is like, you you messaged me that that was Matt's pick because we decided beforehand that Matt was going to get the third pick because he keeps recommending monkey movies. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I trust this guy. I've never met him. And then you landed on the movie and I was like, I think i've heard the title and you described it and i said okay i've definitely seen the poster i have not seen this movie either oh man um for everyone who stuck with us through three episodes we appreciate you and we understand if you don't come back um but we promise to make it your worth your while if you're a fan of monkeys (laughs) 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 i cannot believe we're doing this we like focus so much on like our early episodes need to be accessible. We don't want to get into accessible, our- <laughs> accessible, accessible. We gave them three episodes of accessible. We can get, we can reach with this one. I don't know that I'd call adaptation and last action hero accessible. Sure, they I are. Everyone loves those is. movies. Uh, <laughs> to the layman. Famously, everybody loves adaptation. Most people don't know what adaptation is, brother. It's a movie. It's a movie. <laughs> Oh, oh, they're going to find out now. Man. Uh, I can't believe we're doing this. <laughs> podcast. I was going to say I we'll can. have to cancel the show, but we're not getting paid. So we're just going to keep going no matter how many people hate our next episode. The only people that can cancel us is us. So deal, and Twitter with, moms. deal with it. <laughs> All right, Greg, should I hit the catchphrase or oh you plug the Twitter. Plug, plug the, Twitter. the Twitter. I plugged it at the beginning. I'll plug it here again. At movies for win. Please follow the Twitter account. Um as soon as we get enough followers, I will start doing polls. So the third wildcard pick movie is picked by the audience and not just someone that Denny texts or me and Denny ourselves. How, how many is enough, Greg? Let's let's set a goal. How More many than enough? nine. We have nine followers. Uh, so when we get ten followers, I, I would say I would say fifteen. Fifteen, and then like a Ooh, couple. I was of them thinking are, thirty. I was thinking thirty. I'll say fifteen, and then like a few of them are people I don't actually know personally. Fifteen people, some of which who are not your friends. Exactly. Tell your friends who don't know us. We want some friends of friends to listen to this podcast. Yeah. Or just follow the yeah. Please listen to the podcast, but definitely follow the Twitter account. Yeah, because two of those followers are me and you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so seven other people have followed. I think Matt Lancaster, who did suggest every which way but loose, is a follow the Twitter account. What are you doing with your lives? Other people with Twitter accounts that you probably don't pay attention to. You know what? Just for that, Matt Lancaster, friend of the show. That's right. I gave it to him. Hell yeah, grant him the title. I declare thee friend of the show, Matt Lancaster. Um, yeah. All right. My Critiker handle is at T3H Johnson. My personal Twitter is the same. At uh, Denny, what's yours? 
the moose man the moose man for twitter no wait twitter is one dark stallion with an o-n-e critiker and letterboxd are the moose man and if i get a minute i will make a facebook fan page uh for all of us aging millennials and boomers that love this podcast anything else greg or should i hit the catchphrase that's it hit the catchphrase buddy for the man who never skips leg day greg work the leg work johnson i'm denny the talent taylor and this is movies for when we already told you when that's almost as good as our intro song. <laughs>